It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Once again, Josh Lewin, along with well-respected baseball insider John Heyman. And as we get right to the very end of the regular season, it gets big now. It gets real big. Scott Boris doesn't get any bigger than that. He'll be joining us. Tyler Kepner will come on the program. He's going to talk to us. We got good stuff for you. We've got episodes that include... Well, every week, something a little different, but it's always about what's going on, what's the latest in baseball. And Big Time Baseball, a part of Radio.com, you probably know about us by now. I sure hope you do. Anytime, anywhere, you can listen to over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts. Make sure you're following on Twitter, if you're not already, Radio.com Sports, at RDC Sports. And, of course, subscribe to this and other podcasts. Uh, whenever you get the, uh, the time to go ahead and hit that subscribe button, we would appreciate that very much. So... Without any further ado, with one week to go, let's talk about, John, uh, playoff chases and managerial upheaval, I guess. Do you have any particular order that you want to do these in? Because to me, those are those are the big ones right now. You, yeah. you pick. I'm flipping a coin. All right, Josh. Let's start with a happy one, which is the playoff races. And uh, oh, we've got a week to go. It's very exciting. So let's let's try to be positive this week. All right. We'll, we'll go with door number one and uh, and leave the rice aroni behind uh, for, for the next guy. Let's talk about – well, you know what? I am going to go negative at first. Let's, let's talk about the Cubs, who I guess still could do something here. They're going to need to win out. And if the Brewers go 2-4 and four and the Nationals go 3-5 and – uh, I guess there would be a three-way tied 88-74 as we are taping this right now. But uh, the Cubs did it to themselves, right? I mean, they got swept at Wrigley in a four-game series by the Cardinals for the first time in almost 100 years. It's the first time the Cubs have lost five straight one-run games since 1915. Obviously, that is suboptimal. Not good at all. I mean, they, they had a lost weekend, and, and in my mind at least, and I can be corrected next week, uh, their season is over. You can't have a series like that, playing your rival, watching them clinch, losing every game all by one run in the m- manner that they lost. Lo- look like they may have lost Bryant. We'll see. They have some quick healers on the team. we got to give them credit. Baez got back in there. Rizzo got back in there. They're putting in every effort, but it's just not happening for the Cubs this year. 
been a major, major disappointment for them. Great for the Cardinals, though. Give them credit. Fantastic, fantastic series. And you're right, 98 years since they had a four-game sweep in Chicago. So uh, give them all the credit. So uh, until it's officially over, I mean, I'm putting it out there. The Cubs finish up with three at Pittsburgh, and then they go head-to-head with the Cardinals. Uh, the Brewers are on the road against the Reds and the Rockies. That's the exact same gauntlet the Mets just had to get through, and it looks like they're going to come up just a little bit short. Nationals have the five home games against the Phillies, and obviously the Phillies didn't help themselves, and Cleveland losing two out of three. So let's go to Milwaukee, which seems to be the most likely team, since they're actually kind of a juggernaut right now anyway. They're 15-2 and two in September as we tape this, and that's without Christian Yelich. So uh, it's funny. I don't know if you saw the, the video. There was a, a kid reporter, a junior reporter, that asked Craig Council in the dugout the other day, how come you don't smile? In the dugout. Yeah, every time I look in there, you're not smiling. And it looked like Craig was trying to kind of get there and say, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get to that and, and smile more. Yeah, that's a good point. And then I, I don't blame him. He's still extremely nervous about where it goes from here. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot to smile about for Milwaukee, but a manager never has a restful day. Yeah, I, I think that kid reporter was his daughter, Rowan, I believe. Yeah, it's a good way to get a job. But she did a terrific job because that's a good question for Craig Council. Uh, he's an interesting character. I, I, You know, the first time I first couple times I saw a press conference with him in Milwaukee, I, I didn't wasn't sure this was the right guy. And you know what? I think he is just a very, very bright guy. And, uh, you know, maybe he just wasn't up that day for the uh, press conference or whatever. Uh, I mean, I think the guy is a managing savant. He's doing an incredible job. I've seen other names mentioned, and I think Brian Snitker is doing a great job. Obviously, in Atlanta, they, they've won that division. Schilt, give them credit. They, they're going to probably win that division. I'm not going to put anything past Milwaukee, but uh, Crick Council, probably, in my mind, at least the manager of the year. And uh, uh, I do think that is a good question for him. Why doesn't he smile more? That's, that's a very good question. But uh, in terms of doing the job, he's fantastic. Uh, they really kept it together without big name pitchers or really picture, pitchers with really great resumes. And uh, you know, I got to give Craig Council credit; he does a fantastic job. And uh, Milwaukee's going to be in. I declared that on MLB Network uh, in the middle of the week, looking at that schedule. They didn't have a winning team to play, and sure, it's not easy playing at Colorado and Cincinnati. They'll be facing Gray and Castillo, so. Uh, they got some more hurdles, but uh, Milwaukee's going to be in. I don't think there's any question about that. All right, speaking of hurdles, I didn't mean to go in here and go negative with the managerial upheaval, but Clint Hurdle and the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, this does not look like it's going to end well. And the GM situation there, too. You've had a GM and a manager working in concert together for a very long time, and that's rare in baseball these days. But the way the Pirates have just landed with a moist thud here in August and September, is there any chance that uh, two out of two of those guys stay? Is it one out of two? Is it zero of two? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a way they might be joined at the hip. Certainly the manager has more pressure on them than the GM, and the GM uh, gets a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt in general. Um, the one thing I will say, and I think overall they've done a fine job. Obviously, Hurdle uh, did a really good job uh, for a long time there. Uh, it's tough to keep uh, the clubhouse for more than a decade, and uh, they gave him a very long deal. I think that's the one thing that uh, is really something to keep in mind and why we're not assuming that there's a change at the top of the hierarchy in Pittsburgh is that both Neil Huntington, the GM, and Clint Hurdle 
have two years to go. Hurdle rumored to be at $3 million a year. Huntington at $2 million a year. Uh, that's a lot of money for the Pirates to to eat. They, they're they not big on, on eating money, as you may know. So <clears throat> I would say that's the one caveat uh, I, I would suggest could be in play. Otherwise, obviously, the team has just stopped playing. Uh, they've got bigger problems in that clubhouse. They've they've got the big issue with the closer. Terrible, terrible thing that uh, uh, he's been arrested for. Uh, Felipe Vasquez, I'm speaking of. Uh, and he had a fight earlier with Kyle Crick. So obviously Vasquez is not in there anymore. He'll be out of the clubhouse and, you know, maybe a little bit of a problem has been, uh, or a big problem has been solved there, but uh, they have not uh, played in the last several weeks. They have seemed to have quit on them. All right. So managerial openings that we know of now, and before I get to the San Diego situation, uh, it's funny. There was a, a classic World Series played not too long ago between Kansas City and San Francisco. And now both of those managers are hanging it up. And, you know, some people suggest that maybe Bruce Bochy uh, could go home to San Diego. He still lives there in the offseason, knows so many people, and he'd be welcome back if that's a possibility in San Diego. Uh, there's other people rumored for that, and we'll get to that in a moment. But uh, the news about Yost in Kansas City, that, that just hit Monday around noon. And uh, I'm wondering if you saw that coming, if you were surprised by that, that he's going to hang it up. No, I, I think that was pretty well expected. Uh, Kansas City gave him an extra year, very appreciative. Uh, one of the few managers that uh, won a World Series and got to two World Series in a small market team. So give Ned Yost credit for doing a nice job there. I think this year was the bonus, and I think everybody kind of knew this was going to be it. Uh, you know, that high-priced, uh, long-term manager is going to be uh, almost extinct at this point. Um, we're seeing the end of, of, of several very fine careers. I, I think that Mike Matheny is the most logical choice. He was brought in to be uh, a consultant uh, for the front office uh, not quite a year ago, and uh, he managed in St. Louis and uh, did a pretty good job overall. Won, certainly won a lot of games. So I think that would be the logical choice, uh, and I think I'll be surprised if anybody else uh, gets it. In terms of Bruce Bochy in San Diego, that's very interesting. He is in San Diego. He was the manager uh, A.J. Preller, the GM, certainly thinks outside the box. He has not been uh, against hiring, uh, shall we say, older people. He's certainly had uh, many older-type scouts that have been there. Don Welke, who recently passed away a long time, a legendary scout who worked for A.J. Preller. Um, you know, I'm not going to rule it out. It's wide open. I'm just going to say about A.J. Preller uh, that he may do something outside the box. You, you never know what he may come up with. I wouldn't be shocked. If it was Bochi, I wouldn't be shocked if it's Dusty Baker, another guy with a long, excellent resume who's uh, been uh, very famous in the Bay Area as a manager. Uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't be stunned there. I haven't seen him on the list. And, uh, uh, you know, A.J. Proler is apt to do anything, I think. Well, and it's funny, too, because a guy like Moises Salou already is getting a little play in San Diego. That's kind of an outside-the-boxer, but uh, somebody who would certainly get along, they, they figure, with some of the young emerging talent. Uh, he's got ties to uh, to both Machado, who's certainly emerged already, but also Tatis is the guy they've really got to make sure blooms and, and does everything he's ready to, to do in the big leagues. Uh, a guy like Phil Nevin. Uh, you hear about. I mean, his ties to San Diego. Ron Washington would be a great teacher for a young team. So it'll be fascinating to see what the Padres do. Uh, I 
I do want to get back to the wild card talk, if you don't mind here, John, for just a minute, because we haven't even hit on the American League, and that's the one that's the most fascinating. You've got this uh, tiebreaker scenario. It could be the Rays and the A's, could be the Rays and the Indians, maybe more likely tying for the second wild card. Could be all three teams in a jumble. If you had to, right now, we're a few days out from resolution, who are the two teams going and who's the odd man out? I'll get to that in a second. Moises Salou, I think that is probably a favorite. I'm not going to say the favorite in San Diego. He's been there. He fits the mold. Uh, excellent career. Uh, young. Uh, he knows the front office. So I think that he's got a real possibility. And the interim, Rod Barajas, who A.J. Preller knew in Texas, uh, I think he's got a real possibility there as well. In terms of the wild card, you know, I'm not going to go away from what I've been saying all along. I think Oakland is going to be in. And I think of the other two teams, you know, I never have that face in the Rays. I could be proven wrong. They've proved me wrong before. I, I still think it'll be the Indians that'll get in there somehow, uh, some way. Uh, Ramirez looks like he's about to come back. Uh, uh, they have the young pitching, just like the Rays do. And I'm going to I'm going to go with Cleveland. Though that's obviously a coin flip at this point. Cleveland's so interesting because for a while this year, they were bereft of right-handed power, which for years was kind of their calling card, going back to Manny Ramirez and Albert Bell and guys like that. Now they bring in Puig. They bring in Fran Mil Reyes, who is just, I mean, kind of like a David Ortiz Pied Piper type. I mean, that whole clubhouse seems to have really changed and for the better. And Tampa Bay, as you mentioned, and I know you're you're not eager to to just slam yourself onto that bandwagon. But with Glassnell back, and, and, and I saw him in person just the other day, John. I mean, the guy comes out there. I mean, he's throwing gas. He looked great. He struck out seven Red Sox in three innings. Blake Snell is coming back now. And, I mean, to me, that's still a scary team. Charlie Morton in a one-game playoff, if it comes to that, that's a good guy to, to run out there if you're Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay's got a lot going for him, particularly the pitching. As we know, Glass now has been fantastic. You mentioned the velocity. It's the best in baseball among all the starters. Uh, I mean, Snell won the Cy Young last year, so I really can't poo-poo that. And Morton's been a fantastic pitch-up. They have a good team, but we're down to the final week, and I don't like to go away with what I've been saying all along, which is Cleveland. I even had them at the beginning of the year as a wild card, so I'm going to stick with my pick. And I don't know if there's great logic behind that other than being stubborn, but that's my pick. And, you know, Reyes, you're right, interesting uh, character. Puig, certainly an interesting character. And uh, Reyes is a fun guy for the team. And uh, I, I was surprised that San Diego gave him up. They have great faith in that prospect they got in Cincinnati. They have five guys to get him, a, a Taylor Trammell. So uh, he better turn out for San Diego because they gave up quite a bit, including Fran Mill Reyes. Hey, who's your American League Cy Young, by the way? Because just in the Houston Astros division alone, uh, Justin Verlander is coming up on 3,000 career strikeouts and 300 strikeouts for this season, and he'll have the chance to, to check both of those boxes in one game in Anaheim this coming weekend. Think about that. You, you can go get your 3,000th, your 300th, and then you're going home to Kate Upton that same night. I mean, that's a really good day uh, for, for, for Justin Verlander, potentially. Uh, but Garrett Cole, too. I mean, uh, obviously, he's already got the 300 strikeouts this year. If Jacob deGrom had separated himself from the pack in the National League, we can talk about that one later. Do you discern now between Verlander and Cole for Cy Young in the American League? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this to baseball and leave it out of the modeling business. I'm not a very oh. an expert on that, so I'm sorry to spoil your fun, Josh. But uh, Verlander yeah. and Cole both deserve it. I wish there was a way they could split it. I don't have that vote. I, I don't know who I'd vote for. I'm glad in a way I don't have that vote. Uh, Verlander's got uh, really the traditional stats for the most part other than strikeouts on his side, and it's hard to believe that Cole actually has more strikeouts than Verlander. They both strike out a ton. But uh, Cole leads in the seems to be the uh, analytic, the new wave categories, the Sierra and uh, such categories as those. There's several of them. And he has, seems to have a slight lead over Verlander in many of those. And the traditional categories, Verlander is the one with a slight lead, whether it be the wins or the ERA. Uh, and it's Cole who's second in just about every category. I think. You know, we're we're heading toward analytics being the, the king here. So you'd think it might be Cole, but I think it's basically good, probably going to be Verlander because he's got the no-hitter. Uh, it's, it's a marvel to be pitching this great at this age. Um, you know, he still has 300 strikeouts, and he does lead. I think he, he got his 20th win, too, for people who still count those. I'm not sure that many do, but uh, I, I think the traditional stats will probably carry the day for Verlander, but uh, a vote for either one is very acceptable, I think. You know, the other thing about Houston, just before we leave them completely, that, that I just find so intriguing and impressive is here they are with the fewest amount of strikeouts in baseball, yet they lead in OPS. And I always figured that those two things were completely mutually exclusive, right? I mean, either you swing for the downs and strike out a bunch, or it goes the other way. You're a contact team, and uh, you know, you're going to give up some power because of that. It, it's incredible that there's a team that's got all those strikeouts banked on its pitching side, so few strikeouts achieved on the hitting side, yet they go out there and they can score 10, 12 runs a night anyway. Yeah, Houston's amazing. We talk about them every week. Uh, lineup top to bottom was already incredible, and they added Brantley in the offseason. And then during the season, they added Jordan Alvarez, who's clearly the Yale Rookie of the Year. I can say that because it's obvious, and I also don't have that vote. The one I avoided with you was NL Cy Young. I do have that vote. It's not over yet, but I can say it appears like Jacob deGrom is in the lead now. Obviously, there are many candidates there, including Ryu, uh, Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, Corbin, Flaherty, Soroka, Gray, Castillo. As you can see, I have the names at my fingertip, not because I'm reading them, but I've been analyzing this. I've spent all weekend pouring over all the stats that are possible, and I will give my vote in on the final day of the season, and I'm sure I will be criticized for whatever vote that I give in because people care, and that's really what we're going for, so I don't mind. Well, I'm impressive. Some people take their weekends and float down a river on a raft with a beer in their hand. You're, <laughs> this is what you chose to well, do. So. Well, it's crunch time. So we're watching the games. We're following the games. We're looking at the pennant races. And I do have a vote. I take the responsibility seriously. I'm not mailing it in two weeks in advance, as we saw two fellows from Tampa Bay do a couple of years ago. And then they got burned when they didn't vote for Verlander. And it looked like he probably deserved it. Porcello ended up winning thanks to those early votes. I wait for the season to conclude. I look at every stat. And even then, it's always a controversy because Never do two people see exactly eye to eye. Well, in that vein, let me ask you about the National League MVP because we haven't done that one yet. And, you know, and it's funny because Major League Baseball, the moment they decided let's market this as who's your guy, Belly or Yelly, it might be neither. It's almost like they jinxed the hell out of that because <laughs> Anthony Rendon has got to raise his hand and say, guys, I mean, what, what else do I have to do? 
Yeah, he's been incredible. I, I do think it will be Belly. Uh, we will see. I mean, Rendon has been fabulous. Uh, those are clearly the top three guys, Belly, Yelly, and I wish I had a rhyme for Rendon, but I don't. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to look at. Belly has got the lead in war. He's been incredible all around. Uh, maybe the best outfielder in the game this year, if not, in the, certainly in the top few on top of his incredible offensive season. Yelich has been even better offensively and perhaps Rendon has too. And Rendon is a very good third baseman as well. He's got a big free agency coming up. So when we talk to Scott Boris, that'll be an interesting subject uh, to touch on. But I think all three are in the mix. But for my money, and I don't have that vote, so I can say this openly. I, I think Bellinger is the guy. Yelich, you can look at and say the best offensive year. And uh, in the clutch, he may have been the best. It appears that way based on uh, the win probability added score and things like that. But, uh, you know, uh, people may look at the fact Milwaukee is actually thriving without him. I don't think that's fair. And I think that's a small sample size. I think he's been incredible, even better than he was last year as the MVP. But I'm still going with Bellinger first, Yelich second, Rendon third. Again, I don't have that vote, so I can speak very openly about that one. I've got your rhyme for Rendon. It's Pantone. And I say that because Dodger Blue <laughs> is Pantone 294, and that's their big fan club. Yeah, I don't know anybody beside you and a few uh, interior designers will get that, but uh, congratulations for coming up with that. Well, we're, we're all about making sure we're branding with the interior design crowd. <laughs> what we're going okay. for big time baseball. So, hey, uh, we're going to have a couple of conversations coming up here that I think people are going to want to stay tuned for. Right now, i got to tell you about my friends at Zip Recruiter. Hiring can be a challenge. As Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered, Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company, and she knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job, so you get qualified candidates very fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter, and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could just focus on the best ones. And that is how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes, Try ZipRecruiter for free at the web address ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, we're very, very happy to welcome to the program Mr. Scott Boris, the prominent sports agent representing, oh, I don't know, Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer, about a jillion other guys, too. Uh, not an apt last name, I've always thought, because this guy will absolutely not uh, do his last name with us. Uh, always something to say, always something to uh, to discover. So let's dive right in, Scott. I, I totally appreciate you joining us. Uh, the, the biggest one I got for you right off the, the bat here is all your Washington guys, and mostly Anthony Rendon, who could be an MVP this year. Uh, obviously, that goes right on the page one in the folio, I would think, for next year. What do you think about Rendon? Well, when you have a, you know, a player that, you know, has given you a thousand OPS and great defense, and really has kind of held the team together in the middle lineup, and, uh, um, you know, when uh, when Harp went to Philadelphia, you know, uh, I, I think. Anthony 
held the really the baton of being the core of the Washington Nationals uh, lineup and and you know his great relationship with Soto and 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 certainly you know the combination of those two uh, you know with Turner um, has has really given the Nationals uh, um, you know a lineup that's made them you know I think at the top tier of the National League so he's uh, and I don't think I don't think we'll get I think one of the most misunderstood aspects of Anthony Rendon he may be the you know he's a superstar uh, that is unknown and his defense is extraordinary and you know he just he just does a lot of things on both sides of the baseball that make him an extraordinary player. He's got uh, John Heyman here uh, sticking with the Nats uh, to follow up uh, the Nats obviously made a last ditch effort uh, to sign uh, Bryce Harper uh, the other superstar uh, who was a free agent after last year and didn't uh, pan out for them, obviously went to a competitor's doing well there. Do you anticipate there's any chance that uh, they could get something done before Anthony becomes a free agent and sticking completely with the Nats? Uh, Strasburg has a big call with uh, an opt-out. I think he has four years to go and $100 million. Uh, I was wondering w- what the thoughts are on along those lines. And to tie it up with the Nats, uh, someone had suggested that uh, – uh, the Nats were willing to do $180 million right now for uh, Soto. Uh, did they say that to you? Is that of interest to anybody? And what do you think of that? Um, well, I, I guess I'll have to be like the president of the United States and now ask three questions at one time, John. But um, <laughs> You can do it. <laughs> uh, first, first of which, I think anything contractually with the Nats, um, you know, our normal course is one where we will – um, you know, examine things once the season ends, um, um, you know, with uh, with Washington, whatever time that is in the playoffs, um, the uh, um, or after the World Series. Certainly, um, I, we know the Nats have a strong interest in, in Anthony and they've expressed that to us. And, and I'm sure that's something we'll discuss when the, you know, when the um, season has ended for uh, for the Nationals. You know, as far as Steven and his contract rights, he has not one but two opt-outs in his contract and uh, for this year and after next year. And, um, you know, I make it a practice to not discuss uh, anything with players about their contracts until, you know, they're done performing. And, and certainly, you know, we'll have time to uh, address that. And then I'm sure Steven will give me direction on it. Um, and as far as, uh, as Soto is that, um, <clears throat> sir, I guess there was a radio interview with the general manager and, um, um, and he expressed that, um, they were asking about the signing of, of one and, and, uh, he, uh, certainly, uh, talked about the, uh, or he expressed his, I think, infatuation and desire to sign one. And, and I believe he mentioned, uh, some some numbers in the near 200 million dollar area in doing so uh when prompted by the uh by the writer but but again those those are things that we you know kind of leave in the space of the of the off season before we ever begin discussion i want to ask you scott about nick castellanos uh 
over there in Chicago now, obviously escaping Detroit and what's going to be a 115-loss season maybe over there. He's done an amazing job. He's chasing 60 doubles, which we haven't seen since the 1930s. But meantime, he's being surrounded by a bunch of guys that they keep on getting hurt. And the, the latest, Chris Bryant, uh, at the first base bag, which didn't seem to, to be very friendly for anybody. What was your take on that? Well, um, the first base bag issue is something that we have to, you know, Major League Baseball talks about the integrity of the game and what it must do, where they're talking about time elements, um, reducing it. Major League Baseball has a problem. We have now had two superstar players in Harper and Chris Bryant, and they have yet to address this issue. It rains. There is no one there to examine the bag. They have umpires at every base. Uh, there's precipitation on the bag. Now we put two athletes uh, on, you know, where they're going to miss substantial periods of time. Now it's going to affect a race potentially with the Cubs, with the Cubs because the unavailability of a star player in Chris Bryant. Uh, it substantially hurt Bryce Harper. It may have cost him an MVP and, and cost him nearly a month. And they've done nothing. They have done nothing to address this issue. Do you have a grounds crew when it rains? Do we have someone clean the bag every half inning? Do we have an umpire examine the bag? What resources and what alternatives and what resolution have we made to address this subject? And now we've seen two great players, you know, bear injury uh, to their futures and to their teams in the current and I think it's something that Major League Baseball has just got to put an immediate uh, focus on so they can create a resolution, stop hurting these athletes because they failed to address something that is they've given notice now, not once, but twice. Um, as far as Nick, um, he is, you know, he, he is a, when he was a youth player, um, he was literally um one of the greatest hitters of any young player in the game or and certainly in youth baseball at the time and he was highly thought of um you know certainly and when we watched him play when he was 16 17 he was really one of the true great hitters in in a in an outstanding draft class and so it's not a surprise to us that getting into a lineup where uh, people really uh, can't work around him and, ha and have to throw to him. And, uh, and he, they also have situational pressure uh, where the competitiveness of the team is, you know, uh, uh, in a, in a position to uh, give him uh, situations with runners on base and, and also have people behind him where, where they just really have to have to challenge him. And it's allowed for the exhibition of, uh, you know, of his bat speed, of his ability to stay inside the baseball, the, the, the power and the slugging that is, uh, has, has resulted of this. So it's, I think it's really shown Nick to be, um, you know, one of the, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of that J.D. Martinez approach uh, to hitting. And, and um, he's really just... Uh, you know, taking advantage of that of that situation to illustrate his skills, and also defensively, I think everyone understands that that the rating systems we have and, and uh, are are really it's almost 
in many ways subjective, uh, but he's done a great job in right field. Um, this is his second year playing the outfield, and you can really see the difference in 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 his performance and what he's done. And 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 obviously he's become, you know, even by their by these uh, rating structures, he's now become someone that is in the ranking of the ten to twelve best right fielders in the game. And so, um, you know, we're, we're all real excited and pleased that, that Nick had the opportunity to, to uh, play in Chicago. And, and, um, and, and certainly uh, I think everyone understands now um, what kind of ball player that Nick Castellanos is. As far, as far as this winter, you, you have not only Rendon, but Cole, another uh, huge star who's having a fantastic season, uh, who are free agents. And and also, I was going to ask you uh, about uh, not only Strasburg, but the J.D. Martinez opt-out in a second. But before I do, you mentioned uh, Bryant's uh, unavailability. Uh, is is he out for the year? They're still technically in the race. Uh, he's He and Rizzo and some of the other guys have shown incredible ability to recover, but uh uh, you know, I, only a few days to go in the season. Is is he out? And is he? Is there an MRI uh, scheduled that he's going to take before we decide that for sure? Yeah, he. I, I spoke to Chris yesterday, and he's going to get further medical attention um, in the uh, today, and uh, we'll get we'll get more of a determination as to how he feels. But he he rolled his ankle pretty good. Um, and uh, fortunately, the, the initial reports were the x-rays. There were no fractures. But um, when you, um, you know, he was really, really running hard to try to beat the back end of a double play. And uh, um, and he uh, uh, put a lot of pressure on that bag to try to stretch to reach it. Um, and so uh, um I, I haven't gotten the update today, so I really can't say as to what his status is, but I, I would imagine that um, it's going to be difficult for him to be uh, ready to play uh, right away. Hey, Scott, be, be, before we let you go, I, I do want to just kind of give you a forum uh, because you kind of hit on the one topic with Chris, uh, obviously frosted your flakes a little bit to, to watch the wipe out there. And as you said, that's something that, that MLB in general uh, should just pay more attention to if you were king for a day uh, i'm just wondering what else grinds your gears to the point where if you could clear your throat and say guys come on i mean let's just do some obvious one two threes here what are the one two threes what else needs to be done right now that could very easily be done to make your clients happier and healthier well i think the safety of the game is that you you have performance you know like it just in yesterday's game you've got an elite athlete the prime of his career and, and he is you know, he's he's hustling hard to make sure that, you know, a, a double play isn't completed. These are the kinds of things that you want athletes to do because it's about your team. It's about the game. I mean, they're they're doing everything. And when we create an environment that's unsafe and what it was most, most what I struggle with, Josh, is the fact that we already had one of our great young players in the game. Um, I mean, he, he missed well over a, a month and could have severely injured his knee in doing so uh, and had a personal effect on him. It, it might have cost him the MVP in 17. So we, we've had notice of this. And what have we done? We've done nothing. When we have, you know, we have rain precipitation in the game. We have a bag that's now slick. It does not require, you know, uh, present the footing that it should. And we do nothing. 
we, we have absolutely no uh, advancement in, in how we care for this issue when we've been given notice with it with Bryce Harper. And now we have to have Chris Bryant go down to do this. And I, I'm, I, I think we're sitting here focused on a lot of things in the game. And if, we're, if the health and the safety and the integrity of what we want these athletes to do isn't preserved, then, uh, you know, it, it just draws to the fact that that the focus of what is a priority um, is is certainly not safety. It is not something that that everyone has taken cause to and said, I am going to resolve this immediately and we're going to have a procedure. We're going to have a way to once it does rain that we do things. And um, I, I think it it illustrates you know, what is the focus? You know, we're, we're very focused on a lot of other things, you know, about the timing of the game and things of that nature. And I, I think we've, you know, we're, we've abused the process when we have seen this happen twice. Is there a way, Scott? I mean, I'm just curious because I, I get it. I mean, safety in the workplace obviously is an issue in, in any industry that it's got to be, if not number one, very close to number one. But is there a way to, to tackle all these things kind of concurrently? Because, you know, respectfully, pace of the game, and I, not time of game, but pace of game, I, I think you'd have to agree, even in, in the, the chair in which you sit. I mean, there are still some games where you're thinking, guys, come on. I mean, whether it's, you know, empowering an umpire just to, you know, to, to get a guy back in the box. And, and I mean, is there a way to build a better, a, build a better mousetrap and, and do that without cheesing everybody off? Well, I think we've done some things in in the pace of play that have been helpful. I think the trips to the mound have been helpful. Um, the, you know, the the idea of you know, um, look, we, we've got so many things. You know, the the consequences of having openers and what it does to injure players and what it's going to do uh, the the pulling up of of young arms to have them throw in the bullpen because we are now lessening the amount of time that we give to starters, what the consequences of that are going to be in our arms of the future. None of that is discussed. It just talked about, well, this is most competitive in the game today. But what we're seeing is we're seeing that we used to have maybe for pitchers that are 25 and under, there used to be maybe 30 or so back in the 2008, nine of these pitchers that were throwing you know that we're starting 25 or more games now we have now we have 20 now we have far less players that are getting 25 uh, games started that are young because they're not durable their 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 development has been cut short they're brought to the big leagues to throw shorter innings and yet they bring them back and expect them to be starters as we go forward so as 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 we let the analytic community deal with a performance dynamic that they believe is better in the current game not included in that algorithm is the longevity and durability of those very arms that provide it and and i know in the the process of of studying and and i have a sport fitness institute and i spend millions of dollars training players year-round and, and making sure we're monitoring. We have a training staff uh, independent of the teams where we communicate with the teams and do things. And we're trying to build bodies. We're trying to build 
a corrective strength and core and legs that allow these men to uh, uh, displace the kinetics of the stress in the arm. But yet we have a system that is just driven to uh, not durability issues, but it's driven to issues of current performance and, and trying to manipulate uh, the short-term benefits of, of irregularity of sight by hitters, of seeing pitchers, which is understandable. And I, and I agree that it might have a benefit. However, the, the detriment to the people that are performing, to their arms, to what it does to the future starters, all those things have not been in any way studied or even discussed as an issue uh, going forward for the betterment of the game. Yeah, I think we can all agree the game is nothing without the players. That's an interesting thought you had about the opener, something I, I never even thought of. Um, but I, I'm going to get back for a second uh, to some of the guys with the opt-out. You have several in that boat this year. Uh, including Arietta and Andrus, and of course Arietta is uh, coming off an injury, so that's not like he's not likely to opt out. I assume, and Andrus has got a lot of money, forty-three for three, so I'm assuming he's not likely to opt out. But looking at Strasburg and Martinez, they both have had incredible, incredible seasons, particularly Strasburg, who's showing how durable uh, he can be, which has been the question. But he has a hundred million for four years, and Martinez has sixty million for three on the difference between the opt out and not not opt out. I know you uh, want to talk up to your players first, but to some, it would look like these guys have very good deals. What would be the issues there you look at going forward that you before you'd have that decision whether to opt out in the case of Strasburg and Martinez? Because some people would say Martinez is fantastic, but he's a DH limited market. And then Strasburg, again, he's been a terrific pitcher, but durability has been an issue for him. I, I think that, you know, when I created the opt-out when I was doing A-Rod's contract, it was really, I had to build a bridge between uh, a great young player's performance uh, in his 20s and also knowing that there, that when he signed a 10-year contract, there was going to be market change, revenue increases. And I had to have a bridge to get, to an evaluative period in the market, yet get the athlete the years of contract and guarantee he deserved at inception. And so that's when the thought process came out to say, well, I'll, I'll create the opt-out. And I think when you, when any player uh, goes and, you know, and I, you put these things in contracts, you're, you're understanding that it is most likely not as contract for a variety of reasons. And, um, the the benefit of it to the player uh, is that he can take and examine uh, the um, performance, uh, the marketplace, the need, the club he plays for. He can really look at all of those choices and say, is this a place that I want to continue? And then it provides an opportunity for renegotiation with that particular team. Uh, prior to the opt-out, uh, and then at the time of the opt-out, uh, the athlete can then uh, determine, you know, uh, how he's going to weigh that. And it really is a, a product for for him to take all the information, uh, make the choice, and and go through this. Um, um, now, as, as to Jay, 
J.D. Martinez being a D.H. J.D. Martinez is a when you go back and look at the last three years, there is this is a one of the greatest hitters in Major League Baseball. Uh, this is a person who is a uh, a foundational leader of a team. Uh, this is a person who plays 40 or 50 games in the outfield. That does not, none of those categories have anything to do with being a DH who is often, by definition of how a DH is used today, almost not a full-time player, uh, someone who is, you know, maybe getting 70 to percent of the at-bats, those kinds of things. There's certainly not people that have gained, there's only three or four players in the game that have had a thousand OPS. Uh, over the last three years and they are they not only hit for power but they they hit for average they're on base they are they are literally a, a core uh one of the top five pl offensive players in the game and um that is the vision of uh of uh, jd martinez that i believe all teams have and, and you know and as far as what jd does with his decision making and and I know that when you go back and look at what the Boston Red Sox were before JD and and what Mookie did or, you know, and I know my clients, Jackie Bradley or Xander Bogarts, these players have been dramatically benefited by what JD Martinez does and what information he provides and the intensity that he brings to the players. So uh, there's a leadership part of this. Uh, and as I said, they're that you just have difficulty in the game finding people that you know are really one of the top five hitters in the game in your in your lineup so i i don't think teams would in any way view jd martinez as a dh scott boris top of his industry always a pleasure and the continued success to you and all your guys scott have a great day thanks so much for joining us today josh john always a pleasure very cool of Scott Boris to take some time. And uh, speaking of top of the industry, Tyler Kepner, a top writer in his field. No offense, John. Uh, he'll be up next. Hey, everybody. Cody Decker here from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com Sports Original, here to talk to you about 4hims.com. 4hims.com is your one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And you know what? I'm 32, and I've been taking hymns for three weeks now. Baseball did everything it could to take my hairline away from me, whether it was just wearing a helmet, wearing a hat, or my managers just not playing me. My hair was going away. And I'm 32 years old, and I don't want to be part of this statistic anymore. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims is helping guys be the best versions of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to help you regrow your hair. 4Hims connects you to real doctors online. Get the hair loss treatment everybody's talking about, featured in GQ, Men's Health, Playboy, just to name a few. Not to mention, I talk about it every day on our Radio.com original Swings and Misses. Go to 4Hims.com slash swings. That's 4Hims, F-O-R-M. H-I-M-S dot com slash swings. Well, we continue and talk to Tyler Kepner of the New York Times, and that's always impressive to say of the New York Times, but even if he was just uh, doing his own thing, hanging out his own shingle, this would be somebody you want to read and listen to. Uh, Tyler has done a really, really cool job with a book we're going to talk about in just a bit. But first things first, Ty, we're, we're throwing around ideas for who are the final entrants into the wild card derby? We're taping this on a Monday. Uh, give me your thoughts. Who's in and who's out, AL and NL? Well, sure looks like uh, 
you know, the Brewers have, have put themselves in a great position. The Cubs, uh, you know, awful, awful weekend at home. All those one-run losses against the Cardinals and the bullpen fiascos. Uh, you know, it looks like that's how they were headed. Um, you know, that's the, where they were trending. And it certainly looks like they're going to be on the outs. And it'll be Washington and uh, Milwaukee. Not sure where it will be. Um, but it looks like those are the teams. And, and in the other league, the, the American League, um, you know, kind of think Oakland holds on there. And then you're just down to uh, Tampa Bay and uh, Cleveland. You know, Cleveland will have, uh, you know, Washington and, and, and they could be playing for something uh, the, the final weekend of the year. So hard to figure that one out. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of just throwing a dart at it. But I, I think Tampa Bay has figured out a way all year long to uh, to make it work somehow. And, uh, you know, I kind of think they'll 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 find their way in there to play Oakland. Hey, welcome, Tyler. It's John Heyman. Um, first of all, I want to second that your book is excellent. Uh, K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. Fantastic. Tyler is about the most enthusiastic guy I know in pitching. So I, I would urge everyone to read that book. Um, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about pitchers and a little bit about hitters with this question. I'm always tested. Who are the award winners at different uh, times throughout the year? And I was I'm asked on this podcast who I like for the award winners. And we've got, of course, NLAL MVP, NLAL Cy Young. Off the top of your head, I don't know which vote you have. And I, I, Times, guys, I'm not sure. Are you allowed to even vote? I'm not even sure if you're allowed to no, vote. No, we're not allowed to even vote. It's no fun. It's, uh, I wish we well, that's dumb. I don't, I don't get that myself. Yeah, that's, but uh, any, that's what they tell us. So. Anyway, yeah, I won't comment on the, the Times baseball coverage. Well, maybe I will. I, I Tyler does a fantastic job, and the people I have do a fantastic job. But uh, I really miss uh, your Sunday notes. They're fantastic. And uh, I, I wish the, te- the paper would cover uh, the team throughout the season, even on the road. I'm speaking mostly of the Mets. They're usually with the Yankees. But anyway, who are your NLAL MVP, NLAL Cy Young winners? Well, yeah, I've, uh, you know, I was just working on that over the weekend. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's fairly clear um, to me anyway. I, in the National League side, uh, as, as much as I wish that, Yelich had stayed healthy to make it a real race. I, I would go with Bellinger as the MVP there and DeGrom as the Cy Young winner. And then in the American League side, I would go with Mike Trout as the MVP and uh, Justin Verlander as the Cy Young, um, you know, with the, uh, you know, with uh, obviously Pete Alonso as your uh, NL Rookie of the Year. And then over the in the uh, American League, um, you'd have Jordan Alvarez as your rookie of the year. And then the managers of the year right now, I have Craig Council of the Brewers and Aaron Boone of the Yankees. So that's how I would stack them up. Good choices. Not bad. Yeah, these are all fine answers. There's no wrong answers. <laughs> well, actually, there's a couple. You could, I mean, don't <laughs> you look for a Danny Echevarria or something. Something's very wrong. But, uh, so, hey, we like a Danny here. I, know, I, like didn't, a Danny. I didn't mean to pick on him. He's uh, just got a funny name. Okay. So uh, Tyler's book, I want to go back to that for a second. And it brilliantly named uh, for one letter, K. Which, which signifies, of course, a, a strikeout. And the, the one, I guess, passing sentence that I think I'll always treasure and remember, Tyler, from the book is, is about how you talk about a pitcher as part boxer and part magician. He's either punching you in the face or swiping a quarter from behind your ear is how you put it. And I love that. So uh, as you talk about the power of pitching and the grace of pitching, because that's really the, the two sides of that coin, what was the, the most fun pitch of the 10 that you profiled when you did the deep dive? Do you have one favorite that emerged over the other? 
Well, the knuckleball is always a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, I had written about it uh, plenty of times before, especially when R.A. Dickey was in its heyday in New York. Um, but that's always a lot of fun to write about. Um, so that stands out. They, they all stand out in, in their own way. I was amazed at how, you know, when you dig through the files of, you know, through baseball history, how, how it was just source of debate for so long about whether a ball actually curved or not. Um, so that was kind of fun to see that. And, 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 you know, the curveball is so interesting because you do something different with your hand and, and it's kind of, you know, you're, 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 you're throwing it with, you know, with top spin and not backspin like everything else. Um, so the curveball and the knuckleball are two kind of outliers that way, but they're all, they're all different in their own, in their own way. Um, you know, I like talking to some of the uh, split finger fastball guys because because that pitch was such a, a craze for a little while, and uh, and then it fell out of favor. Um, but it didn't fall out of favor in Japan, so it was interesting to kind of get the Japanese perspective on that. Um, so I guess I'd say knuckleball, just because all those guys have such colorful stories. Um, if I had to pick one, and uh, and they're all they all tend to be pretty nice guys who really appreciate uh, what they have in the game because you know the game usually spit them up and tried to reject them until they came up with this wacky pitch and and stuck around for uh, usually for a long time. Hey Tyler, I thought you did a great job uh, with the story of Mike Yastrzemski going to uh, Fenway Park, and uh, of course it was really. Uh, the the first pitch the that Carl Yastrzemski, the great Red Sox, threw out that was incredible. But uh, Mike helped the story, hitting a home run. Uh, how was that story for you? What stood out uh, that that few games for you? Well, um, you know, Mike Yastrzemski's just he's been through a lot in his life. I mean, he lost his father at, at a young formative age. Yeah. Uh, he was an only child. His mother Anne Marie did a great job, and 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 you know her side of the family as well. Um, to, to just put him on the right path. And then, you know, he went to Vanderbilt and really helped uh, establish that program there um, as a leader. And he graduated, um, you know, fulfilling a promise to his late father. So he's been through a lot, even if Carl Yastrzemski wasn't his, his grandfather. And, and, and that just makes it real, uh, really special um, to be able to see that name, such a distinctive name and to have the kid be such a great, uh, you know, such a really just a quality Dude, I mean, I, I remember talking to the Vanderbilt coach, um, Tim Corbin, about him, and, and he said something. I don't think anyone's ever said this to me about a player. He said he will never ever lose his innocence, and I thought that was really kind of cool. Like he's just, you know, he, he's he's not a kid really. He's 29 years old, um, but he's just has a real appreciation for his place in the game and what the game means. And and it's not like having the name Yastrzemski got him right to the big leagues. I mean, he had to go through six years in the minor leagues with the Orioles without getting call up. So. He really appreciates what he has, and um, you know the moment there the other night was uh, was really pretty cool. I'm just glad you weren't writing that one on deadline. That game took about six hours, but uh, it, it had a happy ending. Hey, Tyler, continued success to you with the book. I know a lot of people have already found it, and, and they're uh, kind of swearing by it, but just to give it a, a little bit more of a push, it's called K. It's written by Tyler Kepner. It's wonderful. We'll see you down the road, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Good luck with the podcast. Yeah, thanks. We, we like doing it. And in fact, John Heyman gives us the very best part of it in just a moment here. We're going to go inside <laughs> baseball, all of the nuggets that we haven't gotten to yet with John straight up. And wrapping things up, we do break it all down. The latest insight across Major League Baseball with John going around the diamond here. You know, we've, we've hinted a little bit, John, about the managerial upheaval. Some things we do know. Uh, and I guess we all kind of figured that uh, Madden in Chicago 
is not a thing as of this time next week, uh, potentially. So, so what next for Chicago? I mean, is it a DeRosa or a Ross, one of these guys that is popular in the clubhouse but has never managed before, or a guy that's actually been there, done that? Yeah, it's an interesting situation where you have a guy who's a legendary manager, Joe Madden, managing a team still in a pennant race, and we all at this point basically know that he will not be there next year. I, I think that has become clear. Uh, it was fairly clear uh, throughout the year, uh, barring a World Series victory, maybe. I don't even know that. But at this point, uh, we can be fairly safe in saying they will have a different manager uh, next year uh, to manage the team. Uh, at this point, and of course things can change, uh, my belief is, and I don't want to put this as a report, that this guy's going to be the manager. My belief is that the, near or at the top of the list are Mark Loretta and David Ross to manage the team. Uh, David Ross has obviously been very close to the situation, was a catcher there. Loretta is a coach there, both very highly thought of, uh, will be managers at time, at some point in their career. Uh, I, I not sure at this point, and I've reached out to him, but I have not heard back from uh, David Ross. Uh, I've heard some speculation that maybe he doesn't want to manage for next year. I don't want to speak out of turn, speak for him. I certainly don't know that for a fact. Uh, but there is a question whether he does uh, want to dive in with, with, into what would be a major, major job. Managing any baseball team is major, but certainly managing the Cubs uh, is a full-time uh, and a 24-hour-a-day job. So I think Mark Loretta is probably, if not the favorite, a favorite right now to get that job, a Northwestern product, as we are, and uh, extremely well-respected in the game. Uh, I've been in San Diego previously, uh, uh, working there in their front office, and now uh, on the coaching staff. So I, I would say that uh, there is a decent chance that it would be a Mark Loretta there. Uh, I've heard Mark DeRosa's name mentioned as well, but again, that's a question of whether he wants to dive into that job at this point uh, in his career. So those are some new managerial names on the horizon. What about some of the old guard? What about a Joe Girardi, a Buck Showalter, even a, a guy like Bannister, you know, who was in Texas recently? Are, are there landing spots for those guys? Yeah, I'm not sure that there's immediate landing spots for many of those guys, but boy, we have a long list. Uh, the... Uh, part of uh, the ramification of of this new wave of managers where they hire uh, guys who are terrific guys who've had good major league careers and work well with the front office is that we have a lot of guys who are accomplished major league managers with great resumes that are on the uh, sidelines right now. And Joe Girardi, I think, has a terrific resume. He will get a job at some point. Certainly, uh, I'm sure we can all speculate uh, uh Northwestern Joe, uh, who's from Peoria, was a Cub, would would love that job in Chicago if if he could get it. Uh, he's not campaigning for it in any way. I'm just speculating uh, in, in an educated guess. But I think Joe Girardi, with his resume, will get a job uh, at some point. Buck Showalter, also a fabulous resume, great baseball mind. I, I think he has a chance to get another job. Bannister, well thought of in Texas, did a very good job there his first two years. Certainly, uh, he may be able to get a job. I think he should be able to get a job at some point. I, you know, I love Dusty Baker. He did not deserve to get fired. He should not have been fired by the Nationals. I think we all know that now. And, uh, you know, his name uh, uh, could be connected to the Padres job. I could see that. At, uh, and I could see A.J. Preller potentially hiring him. 
Mike Matheny did a nice job in St. Louis. I, I think he's got a good shot, <clears throat> a good chance to be the uh, the Royals manager that, that has not been set in stone to this point. John, let me add, finish up here on the podcast asking you about some players, not managers, kind of in that same regard. Guys that have always had a job and now suddenly don't have a job. I mean, whether it's a, a Jeffress or a, a Scooter Jeanette, uh, Cargo, uh, it's getting to be a pretty long list. Do, do they all go the way of, for example, a Chris Carter a few years ago where it's like, wow, he was a home run leader. Now he's unemployed. Or, or, or are those guys going to have gigs next year? Yeah, I, I think the pitchers always uh, will get another opportunity, or seemingly so. At some point, it obviously uh, runs out. But we, we saw Trevor Rosenthal get several opportunities uh, this year. It still has not really emerged back at the major league level. But, uh, uh, you know, even if a, a pitcher is struggling, if he's still got uh, velocity or something going for him, uh, he'll get a chance at some level. Uh, Jeremy Jeffress uh, was a guy who was working out at the end there in, with Milwaukee. Uh, had gotten off to uh, an okay start, but then ran into some hard times. Uh, he's had, had offers, uh, uh, but the offers to this point uh, have not been commensurate with what he should thinks he should get. So uh, Jeremy Jeffress will have an offer and almost certainly a major league offer uh, this winter. He had a fantastic year last year. Um, I think the same could be said, not a pitcher, but Scooter Jeanette uh, had a fantastic year, just like Jeffress was an all-star in 2017, uh, had an injury this year, didn't work out for him in Cincinnati or in San Francisco. Uh, I think he will get a major league deal uh, next year. It'll be, probably be a one-year deal like Jeffress. But a lot of these position players who had great uh, careers uh, will be looking to stay in the game. They were not able to get uh, jobs that they wanted. Um in the second half uh, this year after being released or DFA'd or what have you, I, I do think Cargo, who had a sleeping issue and is working on that, uh, is young enough uh, and has the potential to come back. I mean, he was, let's face it, one of the better uh, hitters in the game at one point. I, I think he will get some sort of opportunity in the offseason. But there are a lot of guys, and we will see if they will get jobs, uh, who are in their mid-30s, had nice careers, and uh, have not retired and never hooked on with anybody after being released or DFA. Ionetta, who had a nice career as a catcher, we will see. Uh, Carlos Gomez, Mark Reynolds, uh, uh, certainly Hanley Ramirez. We've heard from him that he wants to come back and try it. Ken Bruce Morales, uh, Matt Kemp, who we've almost forgotten about, it seems. It's a long list, and it's much more difficult, it seems like, for position players than for pitchers. But as I said, I think Jeffress and Jeanette certainly will be back in Major League Baseball next year. Uh, the other guys may have a harder road. You know, another guy I think will get a job or could get a job, and he was close to getting one is Bud Norris, a pitcher. Again, uh, he worked out for several teams and threw hard. It just didn't work out for whatever reason. But uh, certainly it's a tougher road for guys in their mid-30s these days. Well, of all places to end it, Bud Norris gets the last word on the podcast. This <laughs> week. Was I, I would have taken the under on on number of Bud Norris certainly. references. But, hey, John, great job as always. Next time we talk, we will know who's in the postseason and we'll really go to town on who's going to end up with some sort of victory parade at the end of October. But appreciate you, buddy. Wonderful job. Appreciate our guests, of course, as well. Jam-packed with Scott Boris and Tyler Kepner. This is Josh Lewin, and we do appreciate you listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wherever you download your podcast is fine by searching Big Time Baseball. Until next time, this is Josh Lewin. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 